Hey, welcome to episode 387 of the Beginner Photography Podcast brought to you by CloudSpot, the all-in-one solution for photographers to deliver and sell your photos online. I'm your host, Raymond Hadfield, and each week you are going to learn tips and tricks from me and some of the world's best photographers on how you can use your camera to capture more compelling stories. So today... We have an episode from the BPP Vault. You know, after years of putting out podcast interviews and releasing hundreds of episodes, we have built a rich library full of gold photo nuggets. So these curated rewind episodes allow for new photographers to discover the timeless info that has helped countless photographers and allow longtime listeners to revisit and hear an episode with fresh ears and more hands-on photography experience to draw from. Now, in today's BPP Rewind, we are revisiting our best of episode from 2020. Now, in this episode, you're going to hear from six photographers who share some of their best insights and tips and tricks about photography that they have picked up and are kind enough to share with you. So this one is jam-packed. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right on in. I hope that you have pen and paper ready Let's get into this mega episode. So here's how I kind of picked everything out. Obviously, I picked out, um, you know, some of the most downloaded episodes. So these are the ones that obviously, uh, you know, uh, were very popular with a lot of the listeners and that y'all found interesting. But then on top of that, uh, I took a few episodes that specifically some of you reached out to uh, to share something about that episode that really resonated with you and really meant something to you. And therefore, I knew that if you reached out to me and told me about it, you know, tons more felt the same way. And I don't know, either life got in the way or they weren't able to, you know, reach out. But regardless, it made an impact. So got a bunch of episodes today. We're going to hear from, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six photographers this year. Uh, and again, the gambit is kind of all over the place as far as who they are and what it is that they um, do. So today's episode is a lot about the, uh, some of it is about the technical side of it, right? Some of it is about, you know, lessons that we learned throughout photography, things that are really important for for you to be successful as a photographer, and uh, some things get a little bit emotional as well. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get started with this uh, here in the Nevermind Christmas is Worldwide. You know, it's the holiday season. This is, uh, you know, this is the week. So I hope that you can listen to this either passively or maybe while you're making dinner uh, for family and friends or maybe while you're driving to, uh, you know, to see family if, if that's what you choose to do. Uh, and then just just soak it up and just enjoy this. You know, you don't really have to take any notes. Just sit back and just think about photography as a whole and, and you know, how these photographers have contributed not only to all of photography, but also uh, to your life as well. Because, you know, we are a culmination of the things that we learn, the, the, the things that we experience. And there's that phrase that we are the culmination of our five closest friends. And if we can spend time listening to those who came 
before us, those who are more advanced than us, uh, then we can ultimately do nothing but continue to grow as photographers and even business owners if that's where you are taking your photography. So again, sit back, enjoy, just let all this kind of marinate together. Uh, and then, you know, at the end, see if there's something that you can do with it, like see what that biggest takeaway is. But for the first photographer here, we get into it is with Seth Miranda. Now, Seth Miranda, I actually met down in imaging or at imaging uh, in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, Nashville this year. Uh, obviously, very beginning of the year, thousands of people were there. Um, and he was there. Uh, I, I saw him with Vanessa Joy. And man, he was just insightful and uh, a really interesting guy when it came to photography because he just had such a interesting way of, of, of looking at things that it was fresh and it didn't feel forced and it didn't feel like he was just trying to push something on uh, somebody. He was just trying to genuinely share his knowledge and, and geek out about cool photography stuff. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get into this a little bit with uh, Seth Miranda right now. The first thing you have to realize is that if you're a photographer, you've always been a visual person, whether you've had the technical means or not, you've always seen stuff and you've needed to materialize it for others to see what you're saying. I wasn't, when I was younger, good at communicating myself at all and trying to get this out of my skull into people's heads was not helping out. And I also had a really hard grip on the idea of mortality. I lost people in my life. I mean, from the stories I've told you that like, it's just something that I was used to. And I kept thinking, like, what if something isn't documented? What if it is? And I always looked at the camera as a documentative tool. And I still think of it that way today in regards to I don't Photoshop or retouch anything I do. Uh, usually the clients do that if they want to. But my stuff, whatever you see on my Instagram, that's out of camera. Because I wanted to see what was in front of me. I want to know what was there. I mean, whatever happened to that idea, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, I think shooting the BMX, it it felt like it lasted forever because here in New York, we would all shoot all day and go ride. And then we'd meet up at union square and that's when we would trade tapes and pictures to show each other what we did. Cause if we didn't shoot it. It didn't exist. It never happened. Of course, yeah. I mean, there was no phones. There was no sharing. There was nothing. I think friendster was out back then. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know, but it was, uh, it was the only way to prove you really existed and that everything happened that day. And I couldn't let go of that idea. And it became an obsession and I tried to make that obsession not destructive, but in the end, I was that kid on the corner selling parts off of my bike to hopefully buy the film to get a print in a magazine to then buy back those parts. I mean, it, that's just the mentality. I just, it was, everything was for the legacy. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Yeah. Uh, I think that you touched upon something really interesting there, which is obviously that if if you are a photographer, you have to be some sort of a visual person and things that are visual just have to connect with you on some level. And then I guess I guess what separates tell me if I'm wrong here or not, but I guess what separates uh, a, a, a long lasting photographer from everybody else is just simply that persistence to to keep trying to to make an image that can connect with people. Yeah, I think it's hard, right? Because we all think of it as success as monetary. And I think that we all keep looking at photography like, how come I can't make a living at this? People want me to shoot for free nonstop. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, you're not valuing yourself if you are going to shoot for free. Like, mm -hmm. they'll always have a friend with a camera. But you have to develop a style that people want. You have to develop a product or a service that people want that they can't get elsewhere. They're going to come to you for. And now in an era where we create more content than ever before, let's say I have 
someone out there doing a merch company or, or a streetwear company, they don't want to get lost out there in the rest of the golden hour bullshit preset world garbage that's out there. They're looking for a point of view. And if you stick to your point of view and elevate your technical skills to always execute not only what they want, but what you want and also what's standard, right? So I always tell people, get the clean shot, get the safe shot, get the job done. Then change it to something you know you can do that would totally give them a different versatile look. And then the third thing, before you're out, throw something against the wall technique-wise. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, you tried it and you can hold it in your pocket for something that it would work for. And that's how I elevated, or I should say evolved the special effects work because you don't light a zombie the way you light an old age makeup with like a somber look as opposed to a graphic look or an alien the same way you would do an injury makeup or so on and so forth. And I think you have to stick, first of all, you have to trust yourself. You have to trust yourself that you have a vision and that's what you're going for. Because if you're trying to create someone else's vision, who are you really working for now? What are you really doing? You know, so maybe not everyone's going to agree with your vision and your style. And you might even come into a pocket where your style is a trend and then it's over. But then it's really up to you to say, well, am I just that style or am I a photographer? Hey, Raymond here. If you're sometimes baffled by which camera settings to use, then I've got just the thing for you. My free guide, Picture Perfect Camera Settings. It's a fantastic starting point for anybody eager to understand the basics of camera settings in various shooting scenarios. And it's tailored to beginners who want to get out of auto mode, providing clear, easy to follow suggestions on where to start with your settings. So whether you're capturing a stunning landscape or a family portrait, Picture Perfect Camera Settings will help you to get off of automatic mode and explore the possibilities your camera offers. Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step. And the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos. You mean in the sense of, of, of continuing on with your education and growing your skills into something else? Or your style, or your point of view, or... Yeah. or I don't, you know, people change as we grow and so should your work. Um, If you looked at something I shot in the beginning with those grimy docudramas, and then you look at my commercial work, which is way more clean, there's an idea behind both, but, you know, clearly the cleaner will sell. But um, you yourself have to be able to realize when you've done that style, it's over, maybe it's time to move on. Sometimes you're over and the public isn't. Like every time I do a live demo, Someone in the crowd's like, do a shutter drag, do a ghost. And I'm like, I've done ghosting for 15 years. Can we move on from this? Uh, but listen, I, in the end, I want people to receive what I'm putting out there because nothing's worse than like creating something, putting it out there to avoid and nothing comes back, right? Where's the fulfillment sure. in that? So, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so moving on a little bit, I want to know more about kind of that learning process for you as, as this kid who just like, I'm going to take a camera and then whatever happens happens. Was there anything that you found in, in particularly challenging to, to understand when it came to the technical side of, of photography in those early days? Um, so I, I think we always talk about the film era as being like hard, right? Like you, mm-hmm. You, you couldn't see the exposure and stuff. But I think there was something to be said for putting yourself in a corner where I couldn't change the ISO 
You know, I, I, I had to stick the color of black and white. There was no flipping it later. Yeah. And I think when you started shooting for what was in your hands, now when somebody hands me something that could do everything that's in my hands, I can make a, a strong, uh, deliberate choice of today I want to shoot monochrome. Here's how I'm going to do it. This is what it's supposed to look like because lighting for grayscale is different than color and all this all sorts of stuff. When you're deliberate and you make choices on the spot, you have a better product in the end because you don't go, well, let me get the general basic and then start withering away at it till it's something specific. If you start out with proper ingredients in the beginning, you'll have the right product in the end. And that's the way I've always shot. So I think people look at film or shooting film the wrong way. And I always tell people like, just go get a used camera throw a roll in it and go walk around. What do you have to lose? Really stick yourself to that light meter and realize what it's doing or what it's actually metering when it's seeing a whole scene or a spot or whatever, like really get yourself to see the shot before you even set the camera up, you know, like, you know, I think I think that was a perfect one to start off with. You know, Seth uh, shared so much there about just getting started in photography, why photography is appealing to so many. And obviously, you know, how to learn how to trust yourself when it comes to building a style, because that is something that we all struggle with. So if we can, you know, learn once again from somebody who came before us about that progression and how to get there, then we can, uh, you know, take what it is that we learn, put it into practice and really, uh, you know, focus on what it is that we do rather than trying to emulate others. So again, Seth, man, if you're listening, thank you so much for sharing everything that you did this year. And that's going to apply to everybody. <laughs> so, so hold on and get ready for that. Next up, we got uh, Sean Brown here. Sean Brown is a senior portrait photographer who, uh, it was really cool because, you know, I found Sean um, kind of through like his social media. He did a lot of things with social media. Uh, um, which, you know, is, is you could say it's a it's a form of community. But in this this one, again, this is more about the, you know, getting started in photography. So we talk a little bit more about gear here and get started with that. So uh, let's get on into this. Uh, I'm just going to call them snippets, I guess, with uh, with Sean Brown. Enjoy. Um, so in those early days, you kind of mentioned, you know, you'd go out and you'd shoot some night games and then you'd realize, oh, you know, I got to I got to raise up my ISO or I can't lower my my shutter speed enough to be able to get, you know, a crisp image. So at the time, would you say that it was the gear that was the limitation at that point or was it your knowledge of photography? Um, I think for for definitely like the sports side, you know, gear is always going to be a limitation when you're starting. And unfortunately, sports is one of the most expensive genres of photography to get into you need really big lenses with really wide apertures um, and expensive camera bodies so you know if you're kind of in the sports route i say make do with what you can Um, if you can find afternoon games to shoot that those are probably the best lighting you're going to get to work with on kind of that high school setting Um, but from the the portrait side you really don't need that much to start i think my first um, dozen or so senior sessions that I was that I was booking, I was shooting with a Canon Rebel T3i and a 50 millimeter 1.4. So, you know, you can find that kit used on on eBay for not more than probably five six hundred bucks. Um, I was going to go even lower than that. I was going to yeah, say probably bucks. probably yeah. less nowadays. It's probably you know two hundred maybe max um, for kind of the, those older Rebel series. So if if you're looking to get started, like you really don't need much. Cause, um, as I forget which photographer said, I think it was Ansel Adams, uh, you know, the, 
the most important thing of a camera is what's 12 inches behind it. So it's kind of how you see the vision of the image you're trying to create. So you'd be amazed with what you can do with limited gear. So when it comes to portraits, I was shooting in, in really good lighting conditions. I was planning my shoots in the evening in that golden hour um, where that light isn't super high. So you're not casting shadows straight down kind of um, on their eyes. So it looks like they have dark shadows under their eyes. I was shooting when the angle of light was really, really nice. Um, and it was also bright enough that I didn't have to worry about kind of punching up my ISO where I'm getting those super grainy, gritty photos. And when it comes to the portrait side, I actually think that it's one of the genres that you can get started with the least amount of gear. You don't really need an expensive tripod if you're trying to shoot landscape stuff or portrait stuff like you would landscape. You really don't need um, huge, long, expensive lenses like you're trying to shoot sports or um, even weddings, maybe like the back of the chapel or something like that. Um, a 50 millimeter lens and just your regular kit body to get you started is going to do more, more than enough, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But, you know, it's, it's just so easy to look at the pros, quote unquote, who are shooting with like these, you know, the, the 1DX Mark II or upcoming Mark III, you know, whatever it is. And just assume that if you're not getting the photos that you want out of that kit camera, then it has to be the camera that's better. So if if that's not the case, if you're another, you know, just like me who preaches that like, that's not the case, you know, the camera is not going to make your, your, your photos better. Aside from the lens, what would you say is like the one thing that those listening right now who are struggling to get great photos out of just their kit camera body, what's the next thing that they should be focusing on to get great photos? Yeah, well, I think um, I've I brought up lighting a couple times. I think that understanding lighting, you know, if you go out, I could I could take probably a $10,000 kit outside. Um, and when I say kit, that's basically, you know, camera body lens, if you need it, lighting accessories, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, if I'm shooting at, at noon and I don't know how to properly light a scene if you're using off-camera flash or if you're all natural light like I am um, and don't know how to use a reflector to kind of help fill in those shadows and stuff, you're going to get really drastically different results than if you shot that same image at like 5 p.m. So I think understanding lighting is the very, very first thing. So that's the first thing that I think about when I'm planning out my shoots or going out to do a shoot is what kind of lighting am I going to be working with? Um, Cause you can take a really expensive kit and get really bad photos at high noon, take that same kit or a, a you know, a beginner kit, kind of that rebel intro series and take really great photos at 5 PM just by waiting a few hours when the light dips down. Um, the next thing I think is from the portrait side is just connecting with your clients. So um, one of the very first things that I look at when, um, you know, if, if somebody asks me for a portfolio reviewer, especially in the beginning when I was looking at my own images, was how am I connecting with the client? What kind of emotion am I generating from those images? Because if they're very closed off, if you maybe haven't said a word to them and you just stick a camera in your face and they're like, all right, smile. Um, you're not going to get necessarily the best reaction out of them. So the first thing that I do is all of my senior clients get hair and makeup done. And I actually sit in the salon with them. I'm not the one doing hair and makeup. I can barely put myself together, much less try and make them look good. Um, but I basically sit while they're doing their hair and makeup 
and just have a conversation with them. Just get to know them, get to know their interests, get to know their hobbies, what they, um, what their career goals are, are, you know, like what do they want to do after, after high school? Um, what do they do for fun? Um, those sorts of things. So that when you're shooting with them, you make it more of a conversation rather than a shoot is kind of how I look at it. So I'm constantly interacting with my seniors, making sure that they're comfortable. Um, and I think that's the, the other big thing is so lighting, connecting with your clients, um, getting, making sure you're putting in an effort to get to know them. So they're comfortable behind the camera because a relaxed client is going to photograph a lot better than someone who's super tense as I'm sure you've probably found in life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and then that last one, um, in terms of like getting those great images is figuring out how to take your images to the next level. So, um, one of the things that I really like to do, uh, when I'm shooting say like natural sessions, especially is introducing some movement to the images, um, kind of bringing that life to them. So rather than just having a static portrait, something that adds movement, whether that's the wind catching their dress or um, maybe they're running through a field or something like that, learning how to photograph that movement is going to help a lot in terms of the outlook or the outcome of your portrait, just because it's going to bring more life to it. So those are three simple tips. You don't even need to do gear. That's basically just a matter of, um, you know, practicing, getting out there, working with clients. And um, if you're getting started, don't try and do all three of these things at once. Pick one that you're going to do one day and really focus on. Pick one that you're going to focus on really intently the next day, um, the third, the day after that. And then over time, you're going to just work all three of those in so that when you are photographing your clients, it's going to be more of a, a seamless transition for you to try to introduce all three of those um, things into that. Gosh, that was great. That was a super simple three-step essentially process that, like you said, didn't even revolve around gear. That was... Yeah, it's nice not to spend money on gear you don't need, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like I like gear that I don't need. Sometimes. I do too. That's, I'm, that's I'm a, a gear yeah. <laughs> If before you were looking at your Canon T3i and thinking, oh man, this is... Uh, I really need to upgrade my gear. I hope that now you realize, as Sean was saying, you know, what's really the most important part of the camera is what's 12 inches behind it. It's you who can make a photo, you know, as powerful as it can be. It is not it is not the camera. It is not the gear. Those things help. Yeah, of course. But, you know, a camera, either entry level or even professional, really, all it does is just follow directions. And if you can give it you know, the proper directions, you can create amazing things out of whatever gear you have. So go ahead, get out and make the most of your gear, you know, make do. Maybe you've heard that one before. So that was awesome. Sean, again, man, thank you. Thank you so much. Next up, we got Mary Fisk Taylor. Mary is now. I didn't meet her at Imaging, but I saw her at Imaging, and I knew like <laughs> I gotta get her on the podcast. She knows. I mean, she just her speech about just sifting through the noise uh, just resonated with me so much because you know we we all feel like we are in a very saturated market, and the idea of sifting through that noise is very appealing to us photographers. And the way that Mary just kind of breaks all that down is 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 very strong and it's very relatable and uh, just really powerful messages. So uh, let's get on into this little clip from Mary Fisk Taylor right now. 
So like you said, you know, uh, 20 years ago, you could show up like, hey, guess what? Camera, meeting format, like we're good here. Yeah. I know what it is that I'm doing. And people would just come to you knowing that they don't know how to work a camera. So you have to be the professional. Right. Now we're at this point to where literally anybody can get, I mean, 12-year-old kids can go to Target and buy themselves a DSLR if they wanted to. So now that everybody has a camera, as you said, there's a lot more, um, well, I guess for lack of a better term, noise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. a lot more noise. So how in that time did you figure out as 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 the noise grew? How did you figure out how, do you, how to sift through it and, and make your mark? Yeah, that's a great question. And it took me a while. It really did. I, I, I floundered for a while trying to figure it out because you go, you become, you get digital, you have digital, you know, the digital cameras and that option. And then you have this free and I'm using air quotes, which is weird to do on a podcast because you can't <laughs> see me doing that, but you get this free avenue of marketing, or at least that's the bill of goods we sell ourselves. So you have an email, right? So we have all these opportunities and you think, ah, I'll just do this. And you just start kind of doing what everybody else is doing. Well, nobody notices what's the same. We notice mm -hmm. what is different. So what I realized, and as you may or may not know, I'm a huge Donald Miller story brand girl. Like I'm a big fan. And I read that book many, many years ago. And I'd started doing it beforehand, but that really drove it home for me. The reason we continue to be successful and still produce very well in our studio is what I realized is we had to a stay true to exactly what we did with film. Like we tried to what, what about two years into digital, I realized, wait a minute, just rewind and do everything the way you did with film. You just don't no longer have the film, but don't, don't overshoot. Don't go out and do everything that comes down the pipe just because you can don't mess with your brand. Stay true to what we've always done, which we, we sell mostly large, wall portrait installations. We do a lot of brush oil and now painter work. Um, and then some, you know, higher end weddings. That's, that's what we do. We kind of got digital cameras and thought we would just do everything. Yes. We actually at one point picked up a school. Like what were we thinking? <laughs> that's just not who we are. Like we were terrible because we wanted to pose every single child. Let's give them a butterfly. Like, no, let's do, you know, like, it's like, this is a school picture. This is yeah. not our lane. Get out of that, get back in our lane. And making sure that everything I show, every email I send, every campaign I create is on brand. And for me, that's showing us either creating wall portraits, in, um, you know, uh, communicating or working with clients, installing client work, and showing products. Not just showing pretty digital picture after pretty digital picture after pretty digital picture. If we do that as a professional photographer and what we do that's what they see all day long on their iPhone or their Android or whatever, or their computer. If I'm showing us installing a beautiful 30 by 40 brush oil family portrait in a living room, people go, Oh wait, that's different. So my best advice is show what you do, show what you want to sell. Don't just fall into because it's easy. Oh, I just shot this. I'm going to, you know, Wi-Fi it to my camera and just push it out on social media have a make sure it's incredibly intentional and there's amazing content behind it because people don't know what's different anymore. They can look at pretty pictures all day long. Mm -hmm. So that's what I had to stop doing. And that's probably the biggest mistake I made in the beginning of all of this. So uh, I love that. Great, great story. Um, and if anybody's listening, I don't know if you heard, but uh, Donald Miller did a podcast with Andrew Helmage of the Photo Biz Exposed podcast, which was all focused around photography, which was really, really interesting yeah. to uh, to listen to. And 
what uh, what came through for me, obviously, you know, the power of a story is really important. But I think when we first get started, maybe we don't know what that story is yet, right? We don't know what it is that is incredibly important to us. Did you always know from the beginning or is that something that evolved with you as well? I didn't, I knew it, but I didn't know it. So until I really sat down and, and I, I loved it so much. I went, I'm a, I'm a certified guide with, mm-hmm. with Donald. Like I did the whole thing. Like I'm all in with this and that's, I love education anyway. So it's probably no surprise um, to people who know me that I did that, but I really a believer in it. And, you know, I knew it, but I didn't know it until I really had to break it down. And the whole idea of a story, I think the word story is a big word and maybe we don't understand the whole idea of a story for us as small business owners is opening a story loop and inviting people in and not because we're the know-it-alls, but because we're going to guide you and we're going to solve a problem for you. That's when people get involved in a story. Mm -hmm. They get involved. If something catches their eye and they're like, Ooh, if I don't do this, I'm going to miss out, miss this milestone moment, miss this opportunity, right? That's when they go, Oh, I should probably engage with that. That's how you get their attention. And then it's just my job to guide them. Let them be the hero. Let them stand out. Let them shine. It's not about me. It's about them because no one wants to hear about me. Right. I mean, hopefully somebody will well, listen I do. podcast and want to hear about this. But as our business owner, people want to, they've got to see themselves in the story. So if you don't open a story loop that they can relate to or they can see themselves in or that it's solving a problem that they may or may not know they have, it's not going to make a difference. And that's what story brand really is, in my opinion, or that's what it is for me. And I, I knew that, but I didn't know it. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't, it had to kind of be spelled out and I went, oh, okay, now, yes, I see that. And um, that was huge. That was a paradigm shift for us as a small business owner, major. What I tell you, I mean, she knows her stuff. I'm so glad that I reached out to Mary uh, after imaging to get her on. I'm so glad that she was so gracious with her time to uh, to come on. She's very, very busy uh, in her work, not only uh, with her, you know, photography business, but also um with the professional photographers of America. So, you know, to be able to get her on was, was a real treat to talk to her and just kind of pick her brain was, was so much fun. You know, what I took away from that is just obviously, you know, the importance of, of, of your brand's story, right. As photographers, what it is that we do, like if, if we're in business, even if we're not in business and we just shoot personally, we have to have a story behind it to really make it powerful, to make it stick. Uh, now, a few weeks ago, I shared the story about, you know, my father and how he he passed away when I was really young and uh, I thought that I only had just the one photo of him and I together. Um, and that's something that, you know, I should probably lean into in my own photography business and not as a way of like, oh, you know, I'm looking for a sympathy vote or I'm looking for like a cheat to get in. But just that, well, that's my story. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why photography is is, is important to me. And if you can share that with others and they resonate with that, then that's just going to be an incredible combination, you know. So try to figure out why do you do what you do and really why does it matter to your clients? So just a fantastic way of uh, looking at photography a little bit differently. So Mary, thank you so much for coming on and sharing that. Next up, we got Pierre Lambert. 
Pierre Lambert is a travel photographer. You probably know him from his incredibly popular YouTube channel where he shares just a ton of photography tips and tutorials and does a lot of like uh, on the street type uh, uh, shoots and stuff. Uh, and on this one, again, we're, we're keeping it more beginner and obviously beginner photography related. And we talk about gear and kind of how to prepare for, say, a trip coming up or something exciting that you are looking forward to. So let's hear what Pierre has to say right now. Uh, so uh, gear, let's talk about gear for a moment, because we don't really talk a lot about gear uh, on this podcast. As you know, uh, you know, a camera or a lens isn't what makes a photo great. It really is, is the photographer. And it's, uh, there's so much that goes into it. But when it comes to gear, and when it comes to traveling, it always seems like uh you know, if, 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 if somebody in the beginner photography podcast, Facebook group is traveling, there's always a question about gear, you know, how much do they need to bring? Mm -hmm. Because the question is, is we all want to capture it all, right? When we travel, we sure. want to capture the entire experience, but we also don't want to get bogged down by the amount of gear that, uh, that either we have, and we don't want to bring it all. So do you have any tips for, for facing this dilemma? Yeah, there is there. I'll have two tips. Um, Take the lightest gear you have. <laughs> That's my number one. That's a good one. Because you'll hate the rest. And second, just go into your Lightroom or whatever software you use and filter by lenses you use and look at the lenses you use the most. And if that matches your favorite pose, then just take that lens. Mm -hmm. and that's a good tip whenever you want to switch gear or whatever. Just look what you shoot most with. Like if it's 18 millimeter or if it's 55 or if you're someone who loves to shoot wide all the time, you, you got to know that it's very important. And that really will help you when, when you are there traveling. And the last thing is, um, the more gear you have, the more question you're going to ask yourself. But if you only have one lens, if you have maybe max two lenses and you know, one's really wide and one is a 85 one eight, for example, it's, you might be like, okay, today I'm just going to be like taking portraits or having fun at 85. And then you're going to put that on and forget about the rest, you know, mm -hmm. and that's going to be really fun. Now, if you're shooting, for example, uh, really wide, then you do a really wide day, you know, and try to not have to make change lenses all the time because that will take away from, from, from actually shooting and, and thinking about shooting. Yeah. Yeah, that, that can be a hard thing, though, because kind of, you know, like I said, it's like we want to capture it all. And I think I think when you first start to learn photography, there's just so many options available. You know, the yeah. idea of of using all of your gear is almost you almost equate that to being able to use all of your knowledge, you know? Yes. So if you can't bring all your gear, you almost feel like you're leaving your your knowledge or the potential behind and that uh, that can be harmful. But when you come at it as a challenge, kind of like you said, just do a wide day, just do a, you know, portrait day that does make things easier. Well, what about things like um, now this isn't necessarily like, you know, DSLR or mirrorless camera, but things like a uh, like a GoPro or a drone, um, you know, how important are these things when uh, when you travel? Well, GoPro and drones, uh, allow you in my opinion to get different angles like different field of views different types of experiences so for example gopro you're going to have something very immersive and then your drone is going to help you get settings mm -hmm. it's going to show you where you are it's going to give context 
to the place you are. It's going to help people understand better. And so if really you're trying to go and capture a whole the whole experience, you want to have tight shots, you want to have detail shots, you want to have people, you want to have um, the general area, like show giving context as to what the landscapes looks like and, and the area. And then you want to have maybe the immersive experience uh, that the GoPro gives you of being like in the action. And I think those are like, think about them as different lenses. That's all, all they are. They're just tools to help you like create a, a homogeneous vision if you want into your work. And uh, if you're doing ever editorial, that's what they look a lot for is not just one type of, of focus is they want people, they want setting, they want details on what people are using, for example, what their, how their life looks like from detailed perspective. And then they also want the zoomed out picture that shows you the whole context. Yeah, I think I think that you just I think that you just breezed over something that is more important than you could possibly imagine, which essentially what you're saying right there is that you need to learn how to tell a story when you're traveling. It's not just yes. about one photo. <laughs> it's a whole it's a whole story that you're trying to capture. Yeah, I wasn't trying to tell them because um well, I'm sure a lot of people talk about stories and I remember when I was a beginner it was very difficult to understand. Uh, I'm like, well, everything can tell a story and nothing can tell a story, you know, and, but that's the truth. It depends how you see it, how you want to portray that. And what matters is what, how you see things and what you're going to do to actually make your uh, viewer get it. You know, um, are you going to focus on details because you're trying to show something very detailed or a worker and you want to show how difficult his work is. So you want to like focus on the traits on his face and his hands or whatever, or do you want to show the craziness of a city? And then you don't need to go as much in the details as, as for the worker, for example. And I think as long as you know what story you're trying to tell, it's going to help you get those different types of shot and, and make it match. So GoPro, uh, just to wrap up, GoPro drone, just another tool that, that you definitely want to use for, for your higher creative vision if, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also great toys, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> very fun toys. Uh, do, you have any, do you have any travels coming up soon that, uh, that you'd be happy to share about? Yeah, um, I was supposed to be going to Nepal and India. I think ne India is going to fall short, but Nepal might be going through. So, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Nepal for a second. You're going to Nepal. It's a very remote location. You're not going to be able to bring a ton of stuff. Right now, are you already planning in your head types of stories that you want to tell with your photos? Or are you more of the photographer who shows up and says, let's see what happens and then I'll just follow it and see where it goes? Oh, that's, that's a good question because what I discovered is that my travels are also made up of a lot of photos I might have seen in the past from magazines, like travel magazines, books, whatever. And so when I imagine a place, I imagine that based through those images mm -hmm. most of the time. So if you want to play a game, book a ticket for a place and never look what it looks like before. That's a good game. Um, if you're going to a place like Nepal, which is fairly well known, um, yet few people have been there, 
I want to do two things when I go there. There are there's like the, those bucket list shots that I really want to get. For example, mm-hmm. those flags in the wind on the mountain. Yes. Uh, with the Himalayas in the background. So and maybe the monks also, if I have access and if they're cool with that, trying to get a little bit of that culture. But also from my friends who spend quite some time there. I also want to have an element of surprise. So I want to be in the streets or the villages and just like stay up and, and just observe what happens and capture what I think is um, is worth, not worth, everything's worth it, but in a way it's like, it's something I want to share with, with the rest of the world. Yeah. Oh, and the last one, sorry. Uh, and the last one is how can I integrate myself into those uh, locations so that I also have a personal souvenir? Raise your hand if you have ever, you know, got ready for a trip and had to pause and think about what you were going to take because you didn't want to bring it all, you know, between safety and uh, security and just packing too many things. You know, it's it's hard to figure out what it is that you're going to bring. But I thought Pierre, you know, did a great job talking about, you know, figuring out what it is that you want to bring and more importantly, why, you know, why do you want to bring these things? What role is it going to serve? And you know, how you're going to use them to tell your story, whether you're just, you know, going on a cruise or if you're going on a, you know, on a big trip, you got a story to tell, you know, so figuring out what gear you want to bring and how it can tell that story is, is just a great way of looking at it. All right. Next up got Chris Duncan. Now, Chris was uh, recommended to me to, to reach out to on the podcast from uh, our own Marlinda in the uh, beginner photography podcast community. She was like, Raymond, listen, if there's somebody who knows something about light, it's going to be Chris. Chris is just fantastic. When we, uh, uh, when, when he talks about lighting, when he teaches lighting, uh, his photos show off an incredible understanding of lighting as well. Um, and are just great shots. And I was like, well, let me check this guy out. Out. And sure enough, you know, she she was she, she was, uh, you know, very conservative in the amount of uh, praise that she was giving him world class photos uh, that I know that I would be proud to hang on my wall. And we talk a lot about uh, light in this uh, episode right here. And obviously light is one of the most important things in a photo. In fact, it's 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 the most important thing. So let's see what Chris has to say about light. As in the studio, I learned that the light needed to be have direction to it. I needed to have a highlight. I needed to have my midtone, and I need to have a shadow. The only way to get that is have some type of direction. It can't be at camera position. Um, so I learned that when I was doing this job and through my educational training and my mentor helping me with that. So I, so when I went outside, the first thing I was looking for is I need to see some direction of light. And so that kind of gave me an advantage to help where to place my subject in this certain scene is does the light give us a direction? Just like on my face, you can see the light coming in here, highlight, Mm midtone, shadow. Same with yours coming in, you know, with the lamp you have in your room. And so I was just looking for that um, when I would go outside. There are two ways to bring home more money with your photography business. You either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make. CloudSpot Studio helps you keep more of what you earn. With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save $300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. 
But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow. Easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at deliverphotos.com and... As a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? Empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar. So what do you have now? Obviously, having been shooting for, for quite some time, your eyes have been trained. Now you go out and you see these things, first of all. But for those who are still just getting started, what is your tip for them? How can they find that directional light? Um, one thing that I'll tell my students is find something in the scene that you know should be round. A fire hydrant, a tree trunk, a trash can, something that should be round, that you know it's round. And look and walk around it. <laughs> And when you walk around it, there's a point where that round object will look flat and there's a part where that object will look round. And when it looks round, that's when you know you have direction of light hitting it. If it looks flat, it's either all on the shadow side or it's all on the light side. If you get somewhere in between the shadow side and the light side, then you'll have that gradation of tones. And there, you know, you have direction of light, but you can't do it on something that's square or flat. It's got to be because our bodies are round, they're going to have some mm -hmm. type of spherical shape. So I'm always looking at tree trunks. That's the easiest thing is look at a tree trunk or, a, <laughs> you know, or a street pole or telephone pole to see if there's roundness there. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Just keep looking at tree trunks. I like that. That's going to, that's going to change the way that I go out to, uh, to my next session for sure. It's, and it's sometimes so easy. I hold my fist up. Sometimes I hold my fist up and I, mm -hmm. I know this is radio and people can't see it. But I'll hold my fist up and I'll stick my thumb out from my index finger and, and middle finger. And that kind of makes a nose shape. And then I can move my fist around. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can probably see it. How? Oh, now I start getting shadows. But if I go this way, oh, it's all flat. Mm -hmm. And now, and so I've kind of made a mock face with my fist and kind of <laughs> we'll, we'll walk around and do stuff like that. So, too. So you, if you live you know in a place really with no trees. <laughs> yeah, if you're in a place with no trees, that's what you do. You use the hand. I like that. That's a uh, that's a uh, 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 trick I learned during uh, uh, cinematography as well. Is that a lot of times you can tell, especially from this angle, which the camera can't see, but uh, I guess that that skin on the back of your hand right there uh, with the knuckles really uh, uh, really helps with that. Um, and then I was going somewhere with that, but uh, I complete. Oh, I think what's great about that, uh, that, that tip, that idea is that a lot of times, you know, when we go out and I guess we're looking for lighting advice, like it's so easy to hear, like, just look for even lighting, just look for consistent, just like even lighting, go into open shade. Um, and this kind of, I don't want to say goes against that, but it's almost like a different way of, of, of looking for light. Can you explain the difference between the two? I'm not going to argue open shade is great, consistent lighting because mm -hmm. um, it's indirect. Um, so indirect lighting is beautiful. But if you're going to go into open shade, what I find most photographers do is they put everybody square to the open part of the shade. And so, you know, open shade is under a porch, a building or a canopy of trees right on the edge. So you're not deep into shade. Part of the shade is open. That's what that means. Part of mm -hmm. that from from that vantage point of your subjects, part they're in the shade, but in front, but part of the area around them is open to the to the skylight coming in. And so 
most photographers will put them square to that light coming in. And so that just has the light hitting them flat, flat on. If they just angle their subjects this way into the shade just a little bit, now that light is coming in at a gradation. And so, so open shade can be great and you can use it, but it doesn't, they don't have to be square into it or you don't have to be square into them, you know? Mm. So I was going to say, I think most photographers will benefit from this exercise, especially if they're trying to see how light is going to react, especially in a natural environment. You know, if it's under the shade of a tree or something, it's pretty, it's pretty standard. But when you get into an urban area and you've got light reflecting off windows and car windshield and all this stuff, it gets a little more difficult to see. Um, is when you think you have a point, you want your subject. Do a 360 walk around them and have their face follow you as you walk. And there'll be a time where you can see it and like, oh, there it is. And your eye will see it. It may take you a few times, but you will see it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a – sometimes I forget to do that exercise but just because – I'm, I'm experienced in this and I have to remind myself I need to walk around and I'll find something that I hadn't seen before. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. You're like, Oh, I've been to this location seven times and I've never photographed this direction. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great tip. Then that's something that I would never do. That's something that I would never do. The, I, I suppose that the way that I build a shot is I always look for the background first and then I just put my people in it right in front of it. Um, and as you can imagine, there are plenty of times where you get them in front of the camera and you realize, you know, this didn't work out the way that I was hoping it to either. They're too hot or they're too under or whatever. Um, and that, that's a, that's a, that's a great tip. That's a great tip. Just, ha just take that moment and have them turn around with yes. you. Now keep in mind, it may be when you turn around and say, this is the best light, the background is horrible. I mean, that may be, <laughs> and then you have to, then yeah. you have to decide, do I move them to a new location or are we sacrifice one for the other. And, and I mm -hmm. think both of those can be good answers. I'm not saying you can't put them in that flat light. You definitely can. You could probably sell it, but I think you'll find your images have more impact and rise above when you have more direction light. Cause then you start getting more depth and more shape and people won't know why they just know there's not that seasoned, right? They'll just feel like it's seasoned better. Mm hmm. So just seasoned better. That's going to be the quote for this episode. It's seasoned, but yeah. season your photos better. That's the, that's, well, I, that's going I to be do the a lot of analogies to, I do a lot of analogies to food for two reasons. Everyone has eaten before and most everybody mm -hmm. has cooked something. <laughs> everyone has cooked something and culinary arts is a technical science and an artistic sub. There's an objective part of cooking and there's a subjective part of cooking. You have, if you want to serve a medium rare steak, it has to be 145 degrees, right? That's medium rare. That's technical, mm -hmm. right? But how you, how you season that steak is very subjective. Photography is the same way. Exposure is objective. You're either ex properly exposed or you're not. There's no, yeah. oh, that's close to being a good, no, it's either properly exposed or it's not. Now how you, or it's lit well or it's not, but how you subjectively use that lighting is up to the, but, it, but the objective part has to be there. And what I tell my students is when the tech, when your technical skills meet the narrative, man, then your images are off the chart. Mm -hmm. And then that mm -hmm. takes years to get to don't, I'm not, but, and that's where good food is. Their technical skills fit their narrative of that meal. I'm getting hungry now. Jeez. I could go for a nice good steak. Yeah. 
<laughs> that is such a cool analogy that I had not thought of, uh, you know, when it comes to cooking and photography. As he said, everybody's kind of cooked something and you can get uh, the idea there of how you're seasoning your photos with light. Uh, obviously, you talked about uh, how to find a beautiful directional light, that exercise uh, that you can do. Uh, and again, that great <laughs> cooking tip as well. Uh, so again, I love this idea when it comes to photography and figuring out, you know, what it is that, that we're trying to do because there's always some new lens or there's new, uh, you know, um, I was going to say exercise, but new, uh, oh, technique. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, I've only had the one cup of coffee this morning, if you couldn't tell. There's always a new exercise, new technique, you know, whatever it is. And I think we, we really have to ask ourselves, because it's always fun to do these things, but we have to ask ourselves, how is this going to benefit us? And how is, you know, what it is that this is supposed to do going to make our photos even better? Or how can we season it? Because there's lots of different seasonings. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't season a steak with, um, I don't know, you know cinnamon or, you know, whatever. Uh, I wouldn't do that. And I wouldn't season a cake with, uh, I don't know, paprika chili powder you know you wouldn't do those things but they're still seasonings you know so we just got to figure out what the right seasoning is for the recipe that we're trying to come up with i hope that that made sense and i hope that i hope that chris is listening right now and not just shaking his head <laughs> but again chris uh if you are listening and thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise it was uh it was a blast it was a blast so all right, we are at the last uh, um, snippet here. We're at the last photographer for this episode. Uh, and this one, it gets um, pretty emotional because we're going to be talking about dealing with things that are difficult and the importance that they have on our lives because it's those difficult things that ultimately push us forward the most. So I'm not going to give away any more, but let's go ahead and get on into uh, this portion of the interview with Jenny Stein. The question behind the question of how can you make the world a better place, I found, was just the overall theme of dealing with the difficult. Hmm. It seemed like everybody who you talked to didn't start doing something with their camera for good until there was, until they were put in some sort of difficult situation. Mm -hmm. And this I found extremely interesting, extremely interesting. So, and in fact, you yourself had a little... Quote, and I, 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 I wrote this down because it really made a big impact on me. I don't remember exactly who it was that you were talking to because for some reason I didn't write it down. But you were talking about when I believe your, your grandmother passed away. And you said, when somebody dies, it is such a unique group of people who gather together that you have to capture that. Yeah. And it wouldn't have happened unless something difficult happened. So right. yeah. now there's a lot of questions that I have about dealing with the difficult. Okay. But... Now that I've brought that up, the dealing yeah. with the difficult, what does that mean to you in terms of your photography? Oh, wow. Um, that was a long question. I apologize was, for that. No, don't apologize at all. It was great. Um, well, I, I really, I remember talking, I think it was Summer Kellogg I was talking about when we, are, we ended up being like, yeah, photography is about loss, isn't it? You know, um, not always, but often that there's a lot. Um, my friend just sent me a picture, just, she was going through photos when her daughter turned 11 and it was a birthday. So they were going through an album of mm -hmm. when she was pregnant and having that baby and stuff. And she was just like, really, it was neat to look back on those photos. So it's interesting, all the different kinds of loss. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, your kid that used to look a certain way, looks yeah. 
and said kind of I had someone just contact me about making portraits for their family and one of the reasons was that they are they're like I know they're gonna lose their baby teeth soon so I want to get a picture before those baby teeth are gone because their face totally change right when they get those big old adult teeth and their little faces it's different so there's a seven-year-old with no forefront teeth i totally understand that right now (laughs) it is hilarious (laughs) it's so funny um but i mean i think that well to be so i've been a little more um aware and honest about like my photography started because a dear dear friend of mine died when i was 17 so i was um I was, and I was already into photography. I was working on the yearbook and everything. And he was somebody I spent a ton of time with and I didn't take any pictures. So this is before cell phones though. So like, I, it's so funny when I say that now, I feel like the idea of my daughter not having pictures with her friends is ridiculous because they take pictures together all the time, but that was not, this is 1989. So it was different. And, um, and I just didn't think to take pictures. I didn't think to take pictures of him. And I also didn't think to take, I definitely didn't think to take pictures together. Mm -hmm. And he died suddenly in an accident. And I was totally like, I did not have, I mean, what I wanted, partly because it was so um, sort of, there was this feeling like, what did I lose? Like, you don't, uh, you know, and so I felt like if I had just had a photo of us laughing, which is what we always did, like w- one of my memory is just like laughing and laughing with this person. And I just spent time this summer with his family and I'm like, oh, yeah, they laugh so much. Like, that's why I had that memory. And so I remember feeling like that's the photo I wanted was of us laughing, like because it would give me something to hold on to, like this sort of feeling like, yeah, it was real. What I lost was real because it felt really intangible. And I was really young um, and I didn't. It wasn't really, it took me a while to be sort I didn't want my story about why I took pictures to be a sad story. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I remember saying that to a friend. I was like, ah, I wish I was one of those people who was like, I had my first kid and they were so beautiful. And I'm like, oh no, a really good friend of mine died in a backpacking accident when I was 17. So I realized I better take pictures of people that I love. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but that's really why I started to make sure that I had pictures of my friends with me. And it started to make me care about photos that people were together into like that. There was not just that person. And it's still something that's a passion of mine is like when a photo that you can really see a real emotion and real connection, that's still what I care about. And it goes back to that same thing. Why do you think a photograph, what do you think a photograph would give you that, that, your memory of this person, which is, you know, in a sense, more real, can't give you. I, you know, I think maybe it's a good question. And I remember feeling that way. We talked about that wedding mm-hmm. that they didn't have pictures. And I remember being like, yeah, they didn't have pictures, but they had a real experience. Exactly. You know, but I think in my case, I felt like it was really, I don't, I felt like, and I don't know if this is true. Well, it's definitely true. Okay, so I've done, I, I don't volunteer with Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep anymore, which is an organization that does photos specifically. Uh, it's not always stillbirth, but it's often, it's very sad. Um, and those people, I mean, those, that's kind of the only time, like that, that's a situation where you can see that like to other people, this baby that was born isn't going to be real to them because yes. nobody saw it, but the parents basically and the people at the hospital. Um, but, and in a similar way, um, 
a friendship with someone. I think there was, a, for my 17-year-old self, there was a need to be able to say to someone, I am so sad because look at what I lost. I'm going to start crying. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. It's okay. Um, it's really powerful. But I feel like I couldn't, I didn't understand why I was so sad. Uh-huh. And obviously, that kind of tragedy at that age is um, very baffling, sure. you know. So... There's a lot of reasons that loss was hard, but I think that what I wished for is this way of saying this, like he was such a good friend. This is what I lost. And can, you can see what a good friend he was, oh, but wow. it felt like I was the only one that knew how close we were. And I felt like, and I maybe it wouldn't have, that's kind of like my imagination of what it would have done. But another story that's sad that is connected with this and photography, and this is actually something that goes back to that season of the podcast when I said, you know, my idea was like, how does photography help at that friend um, at that friend's house after? So they had a service for him and then a bunch of people came back to his house. And I was in the kitchen and there was a photo of him in the kitchen and I was just holding it and crying and someone took it from me. And said, that's your hands. She, she took it and she was like, that's not going to help. And I was like, there's part of me that that feeling like, yeah, photography does help goes back to that moment of having someone tell me it's not going to. Oh, wow. Wow. First of all, thank you for sharing that. That was, that was an, that was, that was an incredible explanation of a, of a question that I didn't think was going to go as deep. And, uh, I I really appreciate you opening up and, and sharing that. Yeah. If you got tears in your eyes right now, uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. You know, I still remember having that conversation with Jenny and just being in awe that she was so open and she was so honest, uh, you know, about something that was really, really painful to her uh, for a lot of reasons. One, obviously, the the loss of her friend, but, all, you know, also that that realization of just why photography is so important to her. And a lot of that goes back to kind of what Mary Fisk Taylor was talking about and figuring out your story. You know, you don't, you don't have to go through something traumatic like Jenny here shared or, you know, my story with my father to, to appreciate photography. But having a reason why photography is important to you is what is going to help you connect with uh, your clients. It's it's what's going to help you connect with your, um, you know, uh, audience and ultimately with the world. So your photos don't have to be important to everybody, but they have to be important to somebody. And hopefully that's you, because if your photos are important to you, then it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, you know? So, so you might be thinking to yourself, uh, you know, I just... I just like cool cameras <laughs> or I just got this to take photos of my kids. You know, there wasn't any like deeper reason than that. That is going to be a deep reason. You know, when when you're when you're two year old right now or when you're newborn, uh, when you're taking photos of them, you're just thinking like, oh, this is just them being cute. But, you know, as somebody who now has an eight year old <laughs> and every year I do a family uh, yearbook and this time of year, we get to go back and look at our old yearbooks, you know, looking at the photos of him when he was two or three years old. I can't believe that that time has passed. And in the moment, I thought that, you know, oh, this is just nice light coming through the window. You know, I'm going to take a picture of Charlie eating a, a go-gurt, <laughs> you know, nothing really important here. But now those photos are really important to me because uh, they, you know, they 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 kind of lock that moment in time 
uh, away and they, they, they capture that. And those are things that are going to be important to me later on in life, uh, you know, as we get older. And hopefully um, they're going to be important to him because while they might not seem like a lot, it still was something, you know. So I hope that that made sense. And, and maybe it's time for that second cup of coffee already. But regardless, I really hope that you enjoyed this uh, this episode uh, in this this part one of the best of the year uh, snippets here. You know, I feel real bad because, you know, obviously so many photographers we got to interview this year and not all of them made it in here. While all of them made an impact, uh, not only to me, but to you as well. Uh, I thought that some of these clips right here are going to help you the most in, you know, pushing through some sort of barrier or getting to that next level in photography and realizing, you know, at the end of the day that, you know, we might feel overwhelmed with social media and, you know, not being able to, you know, get this one technique that you love or somebody else who you think is better than you. At the end of the day, photography is all about our, you know, creative creative freedom, you know, and being able to express ourselves and, and getting out there and doing something new and, you know, kind of, I don't want to say getting away from the world, but in a sense, you know, it kind of is. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode of the podcast. I would love to hear your biggest takeaways. Maybe you had a light bulb moment or something that you are going to start implementing into your photography. You can send me a voicemail over at beginnerphotographypodcast.com and click the contact tab up at the top of the page, which just allow me to hear your thoughts in your own words. So again, Head over to beginnerphotographypodcast.com, click the contact page up at the top, and send in your voicemail now. And if you want to hear the full episode from any of these guests who we uh, heard from today, I will have links in the show notes to their entire full-length episodes for you to hear as well. That is it for this week. Remember, the more that you shoot today, the better of a photographer you will be tomorrow. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Beginner Photography Podcast. If you enjoy the show, consider leaving a review in iTunes. Keep shooting, and we'll see you next week.